Welcome back to the Coalition 936 podcast, coming together for a better community. We are back this month, and we have a great next year of episodes planned out. We were sitting around the office table just sketching it out, and a lot of great folks to spotlight in our East Texas area. But our guest today is Judge Paul White in Angelina County. He's a great, great ambassador, not only to our work at the Coalition, but across this Angelina County area. By the way, my name is J.P. Heath. The coalition is a 501c3 community coalition based in our great Texas forest country. We are centered on creating environmental changes in our community. Quick nod to one of our platinum sponsors for this episode, CHI St. Luke's Health Memorial. There are platinum sponsors here at the Coalition working with CHI to make our community healthier, uh, especially in the area of tobacco use. We appreciate Dr. Sid Roberts, who we had on our last episode. And we also thank Tina Alexander Sellers uh, for her longtime support. And we also thank our board member, Brianna Murphy. If you know someone that has said they want to quit smoking or you want to quit, well, project-quit.org is your spot It's a great site to help anyone on their quit journey. You can find info on our classes on our website, angelinacoalition.org. So cool how that has grown over the months, really over the last year or so. But it's also set up as an event on uh, the Project Quit Facebook page. If you feel so led, please subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, among others. That's a big help to us. And also, we're on YouTube as well. And now, here's my chat with a man that embodies dignity and class, Judge Paul White. Welcome back on the Coalition 936 uh, podcast. Judge Paul White presides over the 159th District Court in Lufkin, and he's done that for over 20 years. He is our next guest. How are you doing, sir? Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation, JP. It's always good to be in your presence. Amen. Uh, that, That goes right back at you. And just for those that don't know uh, of your duties, please explain what your court does on a day-to-day basis because it obviously has a, a broad scope in our community and aligns with what the uh, the coalition's uh, service is. Well, district courts in the state of Texas are the, um, the highest level in jurisdiction of courts in our uh, jurisprudence and Regrettably, on the criminal side, that means I deal with felony offenses. And even more regrettable, uh, my caseload over the last 20-plus years has shifted to where it's about 85% criminal cases. Mm-hmm. And um, there'd be felony offenses that I have to manage, and maybe 10 to 15% are civil matters. And so um, I deal with the... Um, cultural dynamics that result in people violating the rule of law to which we have to try to uh, impose sanctions or at least uh, put people on supervision to try to manage and hopefully develop um, compliance with rules of civility and honoring the rule of law. And I deal with that on a daily basis. I've probably seen over 10,000 citizens who have felony offenses. And um, so I'm either having pretrial hearings are resolving cases by plea bargains or conducting trials. And that's uh, mm-hmm. that's just kind of a generic description, but it's mostly dealing with the consequences of our cultural dynamics. 
And you've served as a member of the coalition's board of directors uh, for many years. You've also helped. I know when I worked at ADAC and in, in, in many other areas in the community, I was reading your uh, your court's website. Uh, it, it talked about a lot of other things that uh, I didn't know about you. But just explain why you like being involved, not only with us at the coalition, but around the area. And I guess to prevent and counter a lot of the things you see on a day to day basis as well. Well, as a judge, it's incredibly important to stay engaged outside the courtroom because so many times what you see in the courtroom can can give you a false impression of what's really happening in the world. Now, by the same token, a lot of folks who never go to the courtroom, they have a false impression about what's really is going on in the world as well. So mm-hmm. I like to be involved in, in a diversity of different civic activities for the purpose of keeping in mind that what I do is to protect and secure the um, the safety of the overwhelming good in our community. I never want to forget that what I deal with, even though it's sometimes the most egregious conduct, it is not a true reflection of the overwhelming majority of our community. Mm-hmm. However, having said that, I like to participate also in these very different groups to, to inform them that, look, There is a reality out there that if you stay in your cocoon and you blind your eyes to it, uh, it will become larger and larger and larger, very much like an infectious disease. And we've got to both be working with one another to keep our eyes on on what's occurring around us. Our drug-free all-star program has a meeting each year at your drug court and you get to talk to the All-Stars. Um, I know you've interacted some with them, but explain the drug court and the benefits you've seen over the years. Well, the drug court is not a flash-in-the-pan-type pan um, criminal justice endeavor. It's a, a very controversial method of dealing with offenders who have an underlying alcohol or drug addiction. Oh. And, rather, and rather than sending them to the penitentiary where it's a revolving door after that, there's about a 95% recidivism rate if, if you go to the penitentiary with an alcoholism or drug addiction. Mm. Uh, we try to save them from that if they're not a public safety risk. And we uh, inc- we impose upon the highest level of supervision in the United States, even worldwide. There's no greater supervision than what we have in drug courts. And we develop a new model of living we call it sober living. It's more than just abstaining from drugs and alcohol. It's learning how to think, learning how to live, learning how to survive, uh, surround yourself with modalities of, of life that will uh, sustain recovery for the rest of your life. And uh, it reduces recidivism rates from about 70% down to about 27%. Wow. And that's, uh, that's unprecedented in any other criminal justice program in America. Well, uh Pardon my naiveness, if that's the right word, but why is it controversial if there are such big benefits? Like that's a tangible thing. I'd imagine you can document those numbers, and it's not like this has been a two- or three-month thing. Why would that sort of thing be be controversial? Forgive my ignorance. Well, and I think a lot of people are naive, but the reason it's controversial is to be a part of this type of program, a citizen who's an admitted felon has to give up certain constitutional rights to be in the Uh, program. I'll just give you an example. Uh, They give up a constitutional right to remain silent. They cannot answer. They have to answer any question I ask them at any time. They have to give up their constitutional right to legal counsel. 
Uh, they will be seeing me every week at a Thursday night night court, and they have to answer my questions, and we're not going to have a debate about it, and they're not going to be defended and have lawyer talk and intervenes. They give up that right. They give up the right to search and seizure. Uh, they sign a waiver that we can go to their house, look in their refrigerator, look in their garbage cans, search their home if we wanted to. And we're not that invasive, but we do we do, do some inspections to see if they are violating my orders not to drink and not to drug. Uh, we get to control basically a lot of things that constitutional rights would prevent them from, from uh, confronting. And if they want to reinstate those rights, then they are removed from the program and they go back to the regular court system where if they have an addiction, it's a prescription for failure. So that's why it's controversial. Some folks think that, you know, you shouldn't give up those rights. But uh, when you're dealing with addictions, uh, we've clearly lost the war on drugs. We have to do unconventional things to get a grip on it. And uh, again, the track record of over 30 years in America with drug courts proves that the waiver of those rights is worth the outcome. Wow. Yeah, I didn't. I did not know all of that depth about it that thank you for sharing that, that extra information but along that line uh have you seen any recent drug trends and I, and i'm kind of in my tobacco corner so to speak and dealing with sixth grade students most of the time so mm. I, I don't see it on a day-to-day basis like you do so have there been any drug trends around our area recently that are alarming or that is is it a lot of what you've seen the last five to seven years or so well the the most dramatic change that we've seen in the last couple of years is when the um, federal government finally awakened to the opioid epidemic driven by prescription drugs. I'm not, I'm not talking about the street drugs. I'm talking about people who had a legitimate uh, illness that required pain medicines and they were prescribed medicines by their doctors. Then they got addicted. And when the doctor cut them off, they went to the street and got the same drugs uh, on the black market. Well, when the government finally tightened up on all that, and it's not even available on the street, then, um, of course, those drugs were synthetic opioids, and the substitute is now people are going back to the old-fashioned heroin. And so there's been a dramatic uptick in heroin. We've even had heroin overdoses and deaths in our community. So I'd say in the last couple of years, that's the most dramatic thing that we've seen. Secondarily to that is when I first came into office 20 years ago, there used to be a great deal of uh, methamphetamine manufacturing going on where people were learning the formula on the Internet and they were making their own little lab at home and making meth. That is all gone. Now, the meth is not gone, but the manufacturing is gone because the Mexican cartel is shipping it up here in, in uh, cans of, of uh, beans and corn and paint cans and all of that. So it's it's being manufactured by the barrel loads in Mexico and shipped up here. And so uh, it is still very, very um, dominant in the, in, the, in the addiction scene in our community. Do you see a lot of the same, I guess, easier way to answer this, ask this, is with youth and adults, comparing juveniles to adults, do you see a lot of the same things or is there a progression with you see a juvenile offender? Hopefully you don't see them again, but like you mentioned earlier, there is some uh, recidivism. Uh, so my, my long winded way of asking the question is what can be done early? And do you see a lot of the same traits that happen in a young person that happen in somebody that might be twice their age? Well, I'm a big believer that early intervention um, is critical. I, I like to follow in the criminal justice system 
a medical model of uh, prevention, if at all possible. And if you haven't been able to prevent it, then you intervene as quickly as possible. And regrettably, the, the court system is not well equipped to do anything quickly and intervene quickly because of these constitutional rights where you have delayed uh, hearings and uh, the whole process can take years. And so um, one of the things we have to do is try to intervene and, and consistent with your question then would be if we can do that earlier with young people, we would be in a prevention model or at least in an early intervention model that will prevent it from progressing to where you have um, adulthood and and then the consequences of adults with children that they're influencing. So um, we've got to focus on the youth at all times, never neglect that, although I wish we could put more emphasis upon prevention rather than just intervention. And that's a perfect segue to my next question, because you, you covered a lot of this answer, but why is prevention so important? And admittedly to, to our own horn and, and ADAC and other people that work with children, why is prevention uh, so important, not just our community, but of course, everywhere? I'll give you a, a simple example. Uh, I've had in, in 15 years with the drug court program, I've had young women uh, or, or childbearing age women. Uh, who've been in drug court, who've lost one, two, and three children, all right? And they get into the drug court program, and they become sober and start practicing sober living principles. They become pregnant, and they have a child, and that child stays with that mother and doesn't have an addict for a mother. It's not separated from the mother. And just think of all the good things that happened. What would have been the, the story, though, if we had been able to do that before those first three children were born? We wouldn't be dealing with the foster care and all the other consequences with those other three children. And so um, we've got to focus on prevention to the best of our ability. And uh, even though one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, we really don't practice it in America. Even in the medical field, we spend most of our resources on treatment rather than treatment and cures rather than preventing things. Maybe the dentists have it best. They've taught us pretty well how to prevent, prevent cavities and all that, but not, not many things, not much else we do in America is focused on prevention because we don't believe the maxim of our founding father. I always ask this at the end, what, what can we do better at the, the coalition and, and, and really largely to kind of encompassed in that what can we do better as a community to better serve not only our area and our mission statement but like some of the stuff you said earlier and you already gave a few answers to this but just kind of in closing what what else could we do to uh improve things or that that are our tangible goals that we that realistic goals that we could do in our area well i'm a big believer that we have to broaden our boundaries of influence we've got to get out of our own silos or cocoons or however you want to talk about it and be a part and engage with people unlike ourselves. So we've got to be more diverse. We've really got to work on that. But whatever group we're, we're affiliated with, and we're all, we all migrate to different groups that have common interests, but whatever that focus of that group happens to be, let's don't let it be a group focus. We've got to take whatever that group is trying to do and individualize it. And my, my plea to the community for the last 10 years at least is, Whatever you're doing as a group, as an institution, as an association, whatever your values happen to be, 
then translate that to yourself and find one person. Just find your one. One person that you would like to influence with those values and those principles and those goals and objectives. If we all just found our one, what would our world look like? Because the solutions are never going to be by group therapy our group um, decisions, our group associations. Uh, so my plea is uh, we've got to do better finding our one. You know, we, we used to call it apprenticeships. We used to call it um, in, in theology, we call it discipling. And we call it now, um, you know, a lot of different things, coaching. Let's just find our one and we'll all be better off because of it. Um, both those you mentor and those who are, are, are mentored. It's, it's, that's my plea. Judge Paul White, amen to that. A great way to end. Uh, just know all the time that, that we do get to chat. I appreciate it. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good day. A great East Texas. Thank you to Judge Paul White for taking the time out of his very busy schedule. Another great sponsor of the Coalition 936 podcast this month, Brookshire Brothers Charitable Foundation. Our gold sponsor, Melissa Krager, is the director of marketing. Brookshire Brothers supports our drug-free all-stars and the Project Quit Sticker Shock initiative. And they've been a longtime supporter of the Coalition, thanks to uh, the Brookshire Brothers Charitable Foundation. Again, if you know someone that has said they want to quit smoking, project-quit.org is the site. It is wonderful. Uh, Bonnie does a great job. Uh, They've got some great stories already that some people that have taken the class and have stuck to quitting. Uh, We're offering in-person classes, angelinacoalition.org. You can also, again, go to project-quit.org or go on Facebook. That's set up as an event. Just find Project Quit on Facebook. Again, another humble plea to please subscribe. That helps us out. And we're on YouTube as well. Our number for any questions, 936-634-9308. Have a great day or night. God bless. We'll talk to you next month on the Coalition 936 Podcast.